Welcome to Wisdom Personified, Conversations with Dudum Somi, a passionate and relentless pursuit of exploring how individuals use good judgment in everyday life, both in their personal and professional lives. Welcome to another episode of Wisdom Personified, Conversations with Dudum Somi. I am so excited today. I'm sure you can see. I'm like smiling from ear to ear. I have been trying to get Dr. Judy Lamini to speak to me for the past two years. I am so excited. She is a renowned businesswoman. I mean, she needs no introduction. Dr. Lamini, how are you? Hi, Dudu. I'm well, thanks. Sorry for not getting it right for two years. But <laughs> it's, it's, it's an honor to be here. Thank you. All good things are worth the wait. I mean, we know so much about your business life, your academic life. Um, one thing I've not really read up about is a lot about your upbringing, your most treasured memories as a, as a child. What were they? Do you have siblings? Actually, I started off with eight siblings, uh, two full siblings and six half siblings. Uh, I've since lost all of them except my sister, my half sister. Oh, I have so many good memories. The one that just refuses to go is the one where I'm sitting on my dad's lap, a four-year-old. I've started school, and when I come back from school, my mother puts me on her back. Uh, She makes uh, rice, amongst other things that she cooks. And I used to love this thing of having rice with milk. So she would, I was the last born. So yeah. I, was, I wasn't spoiled, but uh, I had special treatment, if you know what I mean. So yeah. she would uh, take out, uh, dish out a bit of warm rice, pour a bit of milk, and I would have the meal before everyone else does. That's one. The other one, I'm sitting on my dad's lap and I'm drinking from his saucer. He had this big cup. Uh, he loved tea. So he would actually give me a sip uh, from a saucer. So those are the memories that uh, just have stayed with me forever. There's something about going to school at four, hey? I mean, there's some commonality. I also went to school at four. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We must do some research about what that means. (laughs) Um, Have you heard of the term portfolio life? And when I look at your life, I think... Even before you, you read about it, you're already living it. But for those of us who don't know, portfolio life is a term that is coined by Charles Handy in his book, The Age of Unreason, which was published in 1989. I'm shocked that I read it so long ago. Oh, my gosh. I think I just, um, you know, from high school. Uh, the concept is about life being a portfolio of activities. Some we do for money, some we do for interest some for pleasure, some for a cause. The different bits fit together to form a balanced whole greater than the parts. So in case you didn't know where that term comes from, we've shared that with you now. Sis Judy, uh, does this concept um, resonate with you? And, And what does it mean to you? You know, there's a common thread in all the parts, and that's living for a purpose. Uh, it might be the center for me is family. Uh, so your purpose is being a mother. It's being a grandmother at this stage. It's being a wife. It's being a sister. It's being so many different things for the family as the center. And then it's your career. 
I've changed my careers quite a few times. Uh, it part for making sure that I'm leaving my purpose while I make money, because yeah. I find that making money for the sake of making money doesn't really bring a purpose necessarily. But if you can have both, yeah. you're doing something that you believe we're put on earth to do, and it pays you. So your life is complete. So the common thread is a purpose because as a family member, your purpose is to serve and make sure that everyone is taken care of. So it's an all-encompassing existence. When you change your careers the way you have, you don't, are you fearful about trying something new? I am, always. Always. Uh, they always say courage is not the lack of fear. It's just less fear and also being resonate that you are going to uh, do whatever it takes. You, you're scared. Like I remember when I left medicine uh, and went to study, uh, it was difficult, but I was clear that that's exactly what I'm going to do right now. Yeah. What was more difficult, though? was to then use the MBA to then uh, leapfrog into a different career. I was 40 and uh, I was a medical doctor. I had practiced for many years. I did well. So it was really difficult to take, to make that transition. Of all the things, that's one of the most difficult phases of my life because I used to lay awake at night and say, what happens now? Because wow. those who've done an MBA know that it has a short lifespan unless you use it. Yes. So you have two years, and in those two years, you have to use it. And I couldn't go back uh, to being a GP because I'd invested time and effort to be yeah. something else. But uh, through the grace of God, I got a job in corporate finance at HSBC Investment Bank. And it allowed me to hone my skills for entrepreneurship, putting deals together and becoming a businesswoman again. I think sometimes people miss that struggle in your life because when you are successful, people think you just got there. And I'm glad you're sharing that wisdom so that when you are going through a hard time, know that, you know, as long as you've got the right foundation, and I think you are building the right foundation for you to succeed. In the context of all of that, what is your unique value proposition? What makes you memorable and impactful? I don't know if I can answer that or someone else can, but what I do know is that I care deeply and genuinely. I really care. I care for the people I work with. I care for social justice. I care. You know, and uh, I will do everything within my power to try and make a positive impact. I don't always succeed, but I never stop trying. I think that's one. And also, what you see is what you get. When I'm gone, people will be like, she wore her heart on her sleeve. You always knew where you stood with her. Yeah. Because that's who I am. You know, the first time I met you, I thought you were a bit aloofish. Um, and I, you know, and I was like struggling with the context of where I was meeting you as well, 
where you were celebrating a young talent who was launching a book, somebody who's not known, and he had opened up, up your shop in, uh, in Hyde Park, catered, it was high class. And Thank I you. Just, and I just thought a person who does that for somebody else, because you will do that for name brands, but somebody who's not known, why bother? And it really did reveal a part of you that I was uh, not uh, really um, appreciating. And then somebody also told me that you were the, the doctor when they were young and had such fond memories. I even forgot who the person was. You know, it is amazing how we can read somebody differently. And I think you are a good one to share that wisdom to say, don't read somebody by how they come across because you have so many gifts that you keep on giving us. But are you living your best life? I am. Just to clear that one, I don't blame you. I'm very shy and I'm very private. Yeah. So it's very easy for people who don't know me to think, oh my goodness, she's cold or, you know, but uh, till you get to know me, yeah. I am living my best life. I am so grateful, Dudu. I'm grateful for my life. I'm great, not because it's perfect. Uh, I've had a lot of pain. I've had a lot of challenges, but I still admire and I'm grateful for the positives and the gifts that God has given me. So yes, it's, um, if I didn't wake up tomorrow, I would say it was such a beautiful life. And we will all miss you. So please stick around for a while. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I was reading a quote that was in the Mail and Guardian of 4 January 2019, where you said, in business and life, you have to work hard. You have to have integrity. You have to choose your partners carefully. Can you share wisdom around, first of all, the qualities and values you should consider when choosing a life partner? You've been married a while, and it looks like a very successful partnership. So wisdom around that. And the second one around choosing a business partner, because um, we seem to get burnt quite a lot when we choose business partners. We do. And uh, I'm one of those that have got burnt. You know, there's a lot of luck in life. Um, and uh, I, I guess for someone who prays like I do, uh, prayer helps to make you lucky half the time. But more importantly, I think we need to look for the right things in partnerships, whether it's business or a life partner. And that's a value system. If you have integrity yeah. and integrity is important to you, don't marry someone who doesn't. Mm. It fails before it starts. Love is one thing. As important as it is, it's not everything. The value system is the core of who you are. So if you have integrity and you meet someone who has integrity, you might have difficulties in other areas. But when it comes to making decisions uh, for your family, for your lives, when it comes from a place of integrity, then you'll all say, I might disagree with you, but I understand where it's coming from. So I think the value system, whether it's hard work, but I think integrity is bigger because yeah. you can have a lazy partner when you're hardworking, but you both have integrity. Then you, you because you, you marry people with different strengths and uh, different strengths to yours, 
And the best thing to do is to just work with what you have. Yeah. Admire their strengths and cover their weaknesses. It goes both ways. And I think it's the same in business. And uh, the few times I've got it wrong, I didn't know the people's value system. And I realized once I was inside that, damn, it's, this person is not what I thought they were. So, yeah. It's like, don't impose your values on somebody else. Really see who they are without like expecting them to be who you are. In that context, then maybe I should ask you, what's the most courageous decision you've ever taken in your life? I think I've mentioned it already. Leaving uh, my practice, my mother couldn't understand that. So you mean to tell me I'm not a doctor anymore? (laughs) After all those years. (laughs) I know, all those years. I mean, really? Um, Yeah, I think that was the most courageous thing to do. And uh, starting a business wasn't too hard because in in the real sense, I've always been in business whether it was a practice or the bakery next to my practice, I always have been. But to leave what you had studied, the dream of a four-year-old, to leave that and pursue something else, that was brave. Wow. And you've done it and you've succeeded in all spheres. You and your husband, uh, Mr. Sizun Masana, have a publishing company, which is called Sifiso Publishers. There is a joke which I don't personally find funny, but it is uh, something that's said quite often, that the best way to hide something from a black person, put it in a book. What is your reaction to this common saying? And who is your target market for the publishing house in terms of the authors that you would like to publish? Firstly, a lot of people define us and we have to define ourselves. Africans read. As long as you write what they want to read. Don't impose what you believe they should read because then they won't read it because that's not what they want to read. So I've found, you know, it's been interesting. You know how many book clubs are there? Mm. I was sending an invitation to some And I thought, you know, here is a research that I would have to do and I'd love to do to identify the number of book clubs we have in this country. There are lots, you know, and you you go to book fairs in this country and the ratio, the, the demographics represent the demographics of the country. Unless, of course, you go to French work where we are in the minority because of the place. But if you go to Joburg and you go to Devon to a book fair, there are Africans there. Why? Because Africans write now and they read. My members will not like this. They're called bookaholics. (laughs) My friend from (laughs) primary school, Linda Mtenjani, was very instrumental in starting the book club. Actually, my my first introduction to her at school, I was seven, eight she was reading to me in the morning. Every morning she will read. In, uh, so uh, I have not been able to attend, but I follow and I read. <laughs> At yeah. least what they are reading. 
they're, they're not happy with you. Yeah, because I'm never available to attend. But anyway, yeah. Linda, wherever you are, forgive me. <laughs> um, you also wrote that book called Equal But Different. And it's yes. amazing. It even found an audience far and wide on the continent. I know you were in Nigeria about two years ago speaking about it. Yeah. Uh, what is the wisdom you're trying to share with the readers in that book? Just give us maybe two highlights. Maybe the starting point is why I wrote the book. It was never my aspiration. Oh. My doctoral thesis looked at the intersection of race, gender, and social class in women's career pro uh, progression. Wow. And okay. uh, I used life stories as one of the methodologies to get the information. And I sat and listened to these women, and there was so much wisdom that came from those life stories that I said, I have to share this. It, it, it can't be that it just remains a doctoral thesis that is put in some shelf and forgotten about. So I converted it to a book. Mm. It's been one of the best things I've ever done. I didn't realize I had the love for writing. And yeah. I've written a second book. I'm actually finishing a third one now. And you see the beauty with writing is that you reach people that you'll never meet on paper. And when you're gone, my grandkids and my great grandkids will be able to open a book and say, so this is what she thought. So okay. this is who she was. So it's, a, it, it's so powerful. It is so powerful because every time I think of my grandfather, Lancelot Peter Msomi, and I wish I knew his thoughts, you know, the yeah, things he got same. involved in. Why did he get involved in them? You know, uh, so I totally get it. You're now encouraging me because, you know, people have asked me to write and I keep on delaying. And you have to. Now that you are saying it that way, maybe I should just get on with it. <laughs> Please, you've got the material. Yes, I should. You also the founder and executive chairperson of Begani Group. The group has interest in diverse interests in diverse industries. What informs your investment strategy without giving away any trade secrets? What are the unifying principles that are common to all the investments? I, I like investing what I, in what I understand, what I know, like my investments are in health because that's my core. In spite of what I choose to do, I am a doctor, always will be. My dad uh, invested in property in the few areas that blacks were allowed at that time. Uh, so one of my investments are in property. I've always wanted to invest in property as a child. Obviously, there's also opportunistic investments, mm -hmm. uh, which especially portfolio investments uh, locally, internationally. So there's uh, a bit of that, a, a sector I understand, but also a sector that I don't quite understand, but I'm just taking a chance to see if I, I will be able to create wealth. Like growth industries where, you know. Yes. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, when it comes to tech stock, when yes. it comes to health innovation, stuff like that. Because people always think you just follow the money, you know. I mean, Warren Buffett is always talking about value investing. Um, so it's always interesting to understand the thought process behind investors um so just for those of you who are interested in having investment holding companies uh some wisdom that you've just been shared you know there is this syndrome called the imposter syndrome 
which is defined as a collection of feelings of inadequacy that persist despite evident success. Do you suffer from it at all? It depends. You always doubt yourself in certain contexts. And it's not out of nowhere. It's the stereotype that we are born into and live. People have certain expectations of you based on what class they put you in, based on your gender, based on your race, and you feel it. And when you feel it, you start doubting yourself. And the way I always overcome it is to remind myself that I am equal but different. Wow. And yeah. being different doesn't make me less. Yes. So I think for a young person, it's important to remember that when mm. people doubt you, because the doubt, I don't think, starts from within. Yeah. You actually respond to your context. And the response is to what you perceive uh, in the context you find yourself in. And always remember that you, you're equal. That is amazing. That is amazing. You've just, the context that you've just mentioned, that sometimes we undermine the impact of that. Oh, yes. What legacy do you want to leave in this world? Are you striving to leave any? I think every day, just make it count. You know, the first time I had a, a grandchild, as I said, my family is, is the core of who I am. In 2016, this beautiful thing was born. And I remember, I was like, oh, my God, I'd love to go to Makeda's graduation ceremony. You know, you start dreaming if I can only live for 20 years. <laughs> and, then, and then you realize that life is just a gift. Ooh. Celebrate each day. Yes. If you get tomorrow, great. But what you have is today. Every day, I try to live my best life. I try to make a positive difference. I don't always succeed. But when I'm gone, I'm gone. Yeah. You know, when I'm gone, I'm gone. So because I write, I'm happy that even when I'm gone, a child in Tanzania will pick up a book and learn something and hopefully be inspired because I write to inform and inspire. And if the trajectory of their lives is impacted positively, my job is done when I'm gone. So I think for me, it's not about thinking about the legacy. It's about living life today mm. and try and impact lives today. Precisely. Um, you know, as you're talking, it's a painful thought that is coming. I mean, you have a, a, a choice not to respond. Um, my mother, first child, she had a miscarriage. Second child uh, died uh, when they removed it from an incubator because it was an African child and they needed it for a white child. Um, and uh, That's painful. She, I know. Um, and then she got my sister, who then died at 40. And um, I know a lot of my life is to, I try and make her pain easier to bear. Having lost a child, what wisdom can you share? Because I've, I don't have kids. 
So it's something that I try and be compassionate about when I look at my mother. Um, but what can you share? What, what helps a person go on? Uh, sure. Uh, it's, um, it's the deepest pain to do. Deepest, deepest pain. And uh, it happened eight years ago. Mm. But uh, you don't get used to it. Um, I didn't know I was going to cry. <laughs> but but um, you, you know, um, to anyone who's watching who's lost a child, just know that what sustained me was to realize that he never was mine. He came through me as a gift to me. And God was communicating with me. It was an honor to have him. And when God takes him, damn, it's painful. But just cherish those memories and leave. Because yeah. the last thing you want to do is to stop living. Because then you're cheating him, it was a he for me, and yourself. Because in my view, as someone who chooses to believe in God, he chose to take him and not me. There was a reason that he found for doing that. I don't know what it is. It doesn't make sense. It never will. But the point is we are here. Yeah. And here is the gift of life. Leave. Thank you for that. I mean, I try and think about it and try and help my mom cope with it yeah. because the remaining kids also feel it because you, you know, if you're luckily my mother's love hasn't waned, <laughs> but you can sometimes feel that, you know, the remaining ones, it's just as painful as because you feel cheated on some level because not yeah. all the emotions and not all the love, you know, Something dies, even if you try. No, you die. Yeah. A part of you dies when you bury your child. So my condolences to your mother. Yeah. A part but, of you dies. Yeah. And just for us to have compassion. Mm. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. I'm just grateful. Yeah. I'm grateful for everything, even the challenges, because they make me who I am. I really am grateful. Something inside of me has broken speaking to you. I'm utterly grateful for the opportunity. And um, yeah, I'm trying not to cry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, keeps me awake at night is the lack of equity in the world. It's the lack of equity in our country. We were lucky to see political freedom. But without economic freedom, without a woman having an equal chance of leading, without a black woman, an African woman, having an equal chance to be anything she chooses to be, to walk in the street at night, feel safe, we don't have that. And I'm starting to think maybe we won't have it in my lifetime. And that makes me. So, so that's what I pray for. That's what I strive for 
every day. To just have that impact that will change the status quo so that everyone is indeed equal. Because in spite of us being born and always being equal, it doesn't reflect in our society. Just yeah. look at COVID, how it's affecting us differently. It's painful. You know, it's, it's painful to be poor and being poor because you were born a certain ethnic group or a certain gender. It's unacceptable. So for me, each one of us that has made some success of their lives, we owe it to those that haven't to make a difference. That that's really is my parting shot. Please, whatever small difference you can make, even if it's just helping educating the kids of your domestic worker, each one of us can make a difference. And the one thing as you're talking is for African people to realize how powerful they are. I always say, oh, yes. if I chose this race and I chose this gender, there was so much wisdom in that, that I will not cower to what is happening. And until we realize our capabilities, we'll always yeah. be seen as the bottom of the rung in anything. And we can't allow it and shouldn't. Because we have and stars like you. I mean, there are people living, which is why I wanted to do this series so much, to showcase that this is who we are. See the best parts of ourselves and know that you are also capable. Oh, yes. Thank you, Tutu. Definitely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Can you understand why I had to have this conversation? <laughs> the waiting has been worthwhile. Until next time. Join us again for Wisdom Personified Conversations with Dudum Zomi. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wisdom Personified Conversations with Dudum Zomi. Please also like, follow and subscribe to our channel and share the wisdom with your friends. I would love it if you could rate and review as well. Wisdom Personified Conversations with Dudum Zomi is also available on YouTube, Facebook Watch, Apple, and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify. Enjoy the wisdom journey.